Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, yeah, Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. With you as always, Steve Haller, and joining me as always, back in full effect, Christian Guzman and Andy Pregler. What's going on, guys? Um, no matter how bad we are at anything we do, don't worry, we can avoid losing games while no-hitting opponents. I will not take any slander of the Pittsburgh Pirates' greatest achievement of the last five years, which is to win a game while not getting a hit. It really is the metaphysical answer to the question of how can, how can you be bad, but at the same time not be bad, that the Pirates want to exist in for their entire franchise's life? It, so also, answers, it also answers the metaphysical question of describe a Reds versus Pirates game. <laughs> the only thing it was missing was a fight, a benches clearing brawl for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah. is, the Pirates and Reds are are chronically mad online, and uh, this year's team is so new because both teams shipped off everybody good that they have yet to develop their online beef. But beef is brewing, and uh, I'm sure that today helped a lot. But Steve, uh, the real question that we have for you is. Uh, women's lacrosse stuff as christian is our normal women's lacrosse person uh i did not watch any bit of the acc tournament in any way shape or form i know that you published an article or you helped uh our (laughs) wonderful lacrosse writer push live the recap uh you helped john push push the article out did you watch any of the game or were you just like, ooh, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to learn about what happened today no i was actually during the same time um tending to a, a four-year-old that had a fever so i happened to be around oh, when john uh, <laughs> when john decided to uh have the the recap ready to rock but um uh as you can imagine since it didn't start with uh tears groans and various other things uh, the women are advancing to next weekend uh they will be uh or they they beat um princeton 13 to 9 today in the tournament after squeaking past uh, Fairfield 12 to 11 in the first round um it's we're, we're in surviving advance mode so it doesn't matter how you win as long as you keep winning yeah Christian so I think one of the things that we have talked about all season long is that this was always the expectation for this team and then the injuries continue to pile up and we kind of saw the wheels not fall off at the end of the year but they they were rattling uh, you definitely look, you got the low tire pressure warning coming on on one of the lights. Uh, you know, the check engine light was starting to blink in an inconsistent manner. Uh, but this women's lacrosse team had what I thought was a pretty uh, wet fart way to end the season in the ACC tournament. 
uh, really the only way to describe it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're coming out here and they're two wins uh, into the NCAA tournament. So I guess the question for you is, before we go into the actual games part of it, um, this was always the expectation, but even after adjusting the expectations for everything that happened, because a lot did happen, um, is this still basically the floor for where we wanted? Or are we at the point now where we're like, oh, not quite playing with house money because we're Syracuse lacrosse. No one's ever going to think of us as like an underdog this early in the tournament. But like, oh, th- we're kind of doing more than we thought we were going to be doing right now. Well, it sounds like Steve has had some recent experiences with wet farts that don't involve <laughs> him. <laughs> uh, come, come for the sports commentary. Hang around for the poop jokes. That's what we're here for, folks. <laughs> so to adjust the expectation, I don't think is necessarily... Uh, a thing that Syracuse ever thought they were going to do. So I think we are still pretty much actually not even at the floor yet. I think for this Syracuse team, while they did lose to their next opponent, Northwestern, during the regular season, this is still a Syracuse team that expects to beat Northwestern and get back to the Final Four. I think for just in general, Syracuse expects to get to the Final Four. And so while the injuries will probably make a loss in the Elite Eight not feel as bad, it will still stink for a program that has aspirations of getting back to Memorial Day weekend, like it has done so for pretty much the entirety of the past 10 years. So given though the injuries have slowed down the offense a bit, and that has completely shown in the first couple of tournament games, I think the expectation from this program is even despite the injuries, it's still a Final Four team that should make the Final Four. And yeah, the, I think... The... I... The thing coming out of this, though, is we got to make the final four going through, a, well, going to a place that we historically haven't played amazingly at. Uh, yeah. Seeing Syracuse will be traveling on Thursday, I believe, to Northwestern. So, a familiar foe, a historically good foe, and it's going to be a test to get back to, well, the, the tail end of Memorial Day weekend uh, in this case. Yeah, so for those who might be wondering what are the Elite Eight of the Women's Lacrosse um, Tournament, it is the aforementioned Syracuse, the aforementioned Northwestern, the uh, Syracuse is the five seed, Northwestern is the four seed, eight seed Stony Brook advanced, number one seed North Carolina advanced, seven seed Florida, six seed Loyola, Maryland, number three seed Boston College, number two seed Maryland. So pretty much we, we've got a very chalky bracket here. Um, and obviously if the chalk were to continue, Northwestern would be the team beating Syracuse, uh, in next week's matchup. But before we get to previewing that a little bit, um, let's talk about what Syracuse did as, uh, alluded to by Steve in the first round, Syracuse almost lost to Fairfield. They eked out a single, uh, single goal win 12 to 11, uh, the second round game, was a 13-9 victory over Princeton after a really slow start. They needed to come back for that game. Uh, the Cardiac Cuse has now been inherited by the women's lacrosse team. Christian, what have been the struggles for the women's lacrosse team in both of these games, and how have they managed to, to overcome them? So it's basically what you alluded to at the beginning of this. It's the injuries have just piled up for Syracuse lacrosse to the fact where the offense is actually starting to slow down. And that's just due to the amount of injuries that have been suffered on the offensive end. Emma Ward, Emma Tyrell, Sierra Cockrell, the big ones that just 
while you still have the three-headed monster of Cherish, Chuck, Tyrell, and Carney up top, I mean, in Women's Lacrosse, you need all the players on offense to be working as a great unit in order to establish a good flow and put the ball in the back of the net consistently. And the three of them just can't do it by themselves. I mean, it's, it's the epitome of a team sport. So the offense has slowed down a bit. And really, what's carried this team is the defense. The defense has actually looks, has been looking pretty, pretty good so far, uh, which is something that I don't think a lot of Syracuse fans would have pointed to uh, at the beginning of the year. And of course, we just with all the names on offense and then losing last year, Asa Goldstock due to graduation, you're coming in with a fresh goalie unit. And basically facing the same problem that the men did, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be a starter in goal and who's going to stay a starter in goal. Um, and so there have been some fluctuations in goal for Syracuse, but now Kim Kim Kimberhauer has, you know, really cemented that spot in the goal for Syracuse, which has been big. Like, not, it hasn't been like with the men's team where... Bobby Gavin and Harrison Thompson really can't eke out an advantage over one another. Kimber Howard's actually just, you know, solidified that spot now. And she and the defense have been holding strong, which is basically what you need to do in this NCAA tournament and just NCAA tournaments in general. Defense wins championships. And the defense is starting to show up. Yeah. There's so many, so many suburban dads who just heard that phrase and, and subtly smiled knowing that defense wins champions is still an appropriate thing to say uh, in today's modern uh, sports analytics era. He was going <laughs> to tattoo that onto the CBS. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, off- offensive line wins championships. Ask the Kansas City Chiefs. That's a very good point. You make a very, very good point there. I cannot argue with that. <laughs> um, yeah, that is not... I, uh, listen, I'm glad that the women's lacrosse team is managing to fight through these injuries, but it does kind of feel like, um, hey, you got through the opening level uh, and you lost the life when you didn't really expect to. Now here comes the actual like part of the game. You're, you're not in the warm-up spot anymore. So <laughs> less, a little bit less than ideal uh, with the bodies that the Syracuse women's lacrosse program is dealing with, but they are not the only lacrosse program to be dealing with injuries on the hill right now. Uh, the men's lacrosse team has had a heck of a week when it comes to losing bodies, both due to injuries and due to transfers. I was trying um, to see where you were going on that one. It was, no, it was, there's, it was a nice roundabout been, transition. I like that. Yeah, I had to go roundabout there. <laughs> um, Christian, There's you alluded to it right before we got on. This week was strangely busy, uh, no pun intended, and this was a week of the transfer portal rearing its wonderful head both for good and for bad. Yeah, so let's start let's start because I mean this wouldn't be a Syracuse podcast if we didn't start with the bad. Let's start with the bad. Um unfortunately Syracuse loses another person who had a fairly not a great year, but like a very serviceable year. Matteo Corsi is into the transfer portal. He had two goals against Duke uh, but hasn't played too much since, and he would have been a very good second midfielder um, next year. Uh, he was a freshman this year, and unfortunately, he's into the transfer portal, so it's Dordovic, Berkman, Jack Savage, and Matteo Corsi into the transfer portal. So it's, unfor- it's not the biggest loss. The big thing, though, for Syracuse is the addition. 
landing a a grad transfer from Denver named Alex Simmons. Uh, and he is a form. He is a Canadian who is a former teammate of of Owen Hiltz at Culver. So, Canadian connection should be very good. And because of his addition, he played a, both attack and midfield. So you have an option. You can play him. You can play him in a couple of spots. You'll probably play him in attack with the combination of Hiltz and Spolina next year, which should be pretty pretty good. That's the big thing. The well, thing that his, his versus. Sorry. Yeah, go. No, I was going to say his versatility also, you know, leaves it a little better options as to what we can grab in the transfer portal too. Yes. You know, we don't we don't have to focus uh, specifically somewhere. It's like grab what you can get if you have enough versatility there. Mm -hmm. And I just have to see if this guy hasn't moved yet because um, there is a a player who entered the transfer portal. I don't see anything new about him since. There was a, so the big news that came from uh, the lacrosse world this year, uh, in the past week, is a guy named Marcus Hudgens who entered the transfer portal. He's a close defender from Army, and he entered the transfer portal. Didn't play last year, but before the season started, he was pre, he was voted, I believe, as the preseason Patriot League Defender of the Year, hmm. and he's a. He is a Syracuse kid. He was from West Jenny, um, and the and his father said to Syracuse.com that he he is open to going to Syracuse, um, which would be a huge get. A couple of people have said on online that uh, Hudgens can transform a defense from bad to good or good to great. So he's that kind of a player that Syracuse would like to get, especially being a West Jenny kid. Right. He'd like to bring him back home. Give me, and, give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, and, and again, he was a guy who's, who was picked as a preseason uh, first-team All-American by Inside Lacrosse last year, a Patriot, a potential Patriot League Defender of the Year who didn't play last year. But as you know, in previous years, the Patriot League has some pretty good offenses. And... If you can be a good defender in that league, you could probably be a good defender in the ACC. So that's the key name to look out for this week, Marcus Hudgens. Um, and if he goes to Syracuse, that becomes a very big get for Syracuse, who hasn't really had an alpha defender since the days of Nick Mellon and Scott Furman. They really need that alpha defender to come back into their fold right. um, and really rejuvenize the defense. Yeah, that that all tracks, and it's a good thing to keep updated on. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time on this because I went through the website and saw all the other things that we need to hit this week. Well, uh, we we do have one thing that we did miss on the women's side, though. Yes, I was going to pivot to talking about elite players. Syracuse oh, yeah. has one that is about to get nominated. Steve, can you pronounce it? Because I'm not. I'm going to butcher it. Uh, not can. her name, but like the the award name. I, I, I I'm terrible at this yeah. every time. Go for it, Christian. Kawarton. That's what I was going with, so that works. I don't know if that's Warton. where Andy was, but... No, that is not where I was, so we're just going to go with that. Uh, Megan Tyrell, Tawarton finalist, uh, which is uh, the highest honor that an individual player can receive in lacrosse for both men's and women's. The other finalists are Boston College's Charlotte North, who won the award last year, North Carolina's Jamie Ortega, Ali uh, Mastrioni from North Carolina as well, and Maryland's Aurora Cordingly. Um, the 
general vibe is that it's a really loaded field. I'm not sure that Tyrell is going to be like the odds on favorite to win. Probably not, but it is an on literally it is an honor to be nominated because you are recognized as one of the top five players in the sport. Uh, in uh, in general, this is something that if you look at the the list of winners, Syracuse has a very long history of getting finalists and uh, winners um, on onto the uh, Tuaraton Trophy name. So. Congratulations to Tyrell for being added to that list. Fortunately, Syracuse faces the big fat zero in the Tawarton Award for women's, which is a shame. It's just that there have been some... It's a shame that there have been some great players who have yeah. been in their way. Right now, it's Charlotte North. Um, and It's either going to be North or Ortega that wins the award this year. And when Kayla Trainer was playing, Taylor Cummings was a thing. Mm. And Taylor Cummings is widely regarded as one of the best ever to play women's lacrosse. And she always beat out trainer for the award, which is just unfortunate. Yeah, and yeah. I think even on the men's side, the last time we had a winner was what Mike Lavelle, probably. Was it JoJo? I don't know. Did remember. JoJo win? I don't remember. No, he's nominated. I'm looking this up. Uh, I'm, right I'm, I'm, I'm very. Uh, yep. About this. Okay. Uh, it is Mike Lavelle. JoJo yeah. would have been. Was JoJo? What year was he? Jojo would have been the Jojo would have been ten Thompson to thirteen, years, wasn't I think. It? Okay. No. Oh, Pinnell. No, he oh. was Rob Pinnell. Yeah, Pinnell. That'll Steel Stanwick. Yep. <laughs> uh, those those are those are good good teams there. Yeah, I good mean when you yeah when you look at Cuse, it's literally Mikey, Mikey, and Lavelle, and that's mm-hmm. it that have ever because the 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 yeah, award officially started in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you couldn't uh, even get all the rest of the Powells and Gates on there. <laughs> yeah. Even though they probably should have been. Uh, <laughs> but uh, congrats to Megan. And yeah, that's this sounds like some fun off-season topics of uh, the Syracuse players to get nominated but not win. And would they have won if they had not run into the to the juggernauts that they had uh, or, run into? Or Sinego, we just, we just gave you an article idea. Enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, we're going to take, take a minute to do halftime here because we got men's basketball and men's football coming up after the break. So before we get to that, we want to say thank you to our good friends at Home Field Apparel, maker of the finest, comfiest vintage clothing, uh, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, even sweat joggers that you will find out there on the interwebs. Uh, the fa- uh, the fine folks at Home Field Apparel just recently launched some new Syracuse gear. Uh, previously, they had had a Syracuse collection that I think a lot of you were pretty familiar with. And now we are looking at two new shirts a uh, orange vintage dome logo shirt and a 2003 national champion shirt. So, you know, those are things that Syracuse fans love to have in their collection and home field apparel has you covered. Use the promo code noons N U N E S for 10% off your first order at home field apparel. Uh, We appreciate their support and their continued sponsorship of the podcast. And so as we think about the place that was the carrier dome, uh michael uh as usual came up with a really interesting article idea which is the idea that with the carrier dome undergoing certain renovations there's a really good chance that attendance records could be impacted um steve i'm just kind of interested to to hit you up here uh on this one because one i i still don't quite understand the science of what they're doing inside of the dome with the seats versus the bleachers and how that impacts attendance um, but then the second part is, uh, yeah, big dome games. 
you've seen more of them than me. Uh, so the a while the, for the Steve is old joke. There it is. There I've it seen is. zero. Have you not been at any of the uh, of the of the sellout record games? Nope. That None surprises me. I don't really like people. Okay, well, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, that anytime you get into the the situations where it was, you know, pack the dome or get as many people in here as possible. I'm like, I'm just going to watch it on my TV or go to my buddy's house because I, I love going to the dome, but I don't like that many people in the dome. <laughs> so and even the Clemson game, I wasn't there because of the aforementioned wedding numerous times. Uh, so yeah, I have somehow missed. I think the only game that I was ever at that was remotely packed would have been a Nova game. Um, I think it was the year before they had the push to bust the record, or it might have been the year after, yeah. where it was just like the the teams were mediocre or whatever. But um, it was it was quite full. You know, we we were probably thirty thousand plus for basketball, but it wasn't like the complete can't move anywhere in the dome type situations yeah um very unexpected i kind of <laughs> dig, dig it i kind of dig it but in general well, we are well, when you're when you're a former college offensive lineman you don't fit in small spaces with a lot of people this is also fair so what are your <laughs> feelings on the on going from bleacher seating to you know traditional stadium seating then as somebody who probably is not as comfortable in tiny stadium seats uh, strangely enough, because of the way people pack the dome, it's probably better to be in seats than it is to be in the bleachers. Um, just because you actually have a more defined space instead of a random number on a seat in front of you. Uh, I don't know. It, it's to me, it seems like it's a move that's been a long time coming. Uh, I know there's, you know, people that are yelling, get off my lawn about losing the bleachers and, you know, I guess as long as we save the troughs, people will still be happy. But uh, it's it's a weird, weird situation where I, I think personally I'm much happier that we have or that we're getting the, the seating. Um, yeah, it's going to cut down the opportunity to break records, but I think it'll be better for this experience overall um, and just a, a better better look for the dome. You know, a whole bunch of whole bunch of improvements. I don't know if anybody has controversy. Um, contrary opinions on that but that's where i sit no i think that makes sense um but the teams that we could be theoretically packing them in for one last time have been announced uh the uh earlier this week we had again uh kevin doing doing the work and figuring out the 2022-2023 acc men's basketball information uh we now know who syracuse will play in a home and home who Syracuse will play exclusively at home and who Syracuse will play exclusively on the road. Um, so this does not include the non-conference matchups. This is just the ACC. Syracuse will have home and homes against Boston College, Pitt Panthers, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. They will play Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State, and Wake Forest exclusively at the Carrier Dome. And they will play Clemson, Florida State, Louisville and Miami exclusively on the road. I think um, you're wrong there, Andy. Am I wrong? Yeah, they're not going to be playing a single team in the Carrier Dome. Uh, Seeing they, as of yesterday, officially took the sign down. 
Yes, it is no longer the Carrier Dome, but it is not a. Uh, we do not have a new name yeah. for the stadium yet. Just We've, the that's it's the name goes here Dome. Yeah, we we're trading we're trading for a player to be named later here. I'm, you know those you know those billboards they have on six ninety like interested in ad space here call six six six. That's just hanging from the one side of the dome at this point. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm literally putting into the podcast description uh, the name goes here dome. I'm making that <laughs> <up> now. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you. You're 100 right. No one is coming to the uh, carrier dome. They're all coming to the name goes here dome. Uh, overall, that's got to be a thing like... until the official announcement. Now, there's no other. Oh, way. All, right, all right, so let's so let's tag Kevin and say, yeah, okay, this, this is from, official. From from heads on forth, every time we want to mention the dome in a news edition article, it must be known as the name goes here dome. Yeah, yep. this is this is now noon six one six canon here. It's official. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, well done, Christian. Well done. Uh, but the schedule, if you're a ticket holder, is probably great because you get a Duke game and you get a UNC game. It's great from a Syracuse scheduling perspective because we don't have to go to Duke. We don't have to go to UNC, even though Jim Beheim has had more success down there than his other ACC compatriots. That being said, um, the Miami was an Elite Eight team last year. Florida State usually gives Syracuse fits, ACC tournaments notwithstanding. Um, Duke, North Carolina, and Wake Forest were all really good last year, and so we still have to play them. And the home-and-homes are really, you know, Boston College, Pitt, Georgia Tech were all terrible but Notre Dame, Virginia, and Virginia Tech were definitively not. So I think that either an ACC schedule is always going to be hard, but Kirsten, I'm just curious that do you think that there's any benefit to only getting Duke, North Carolina, Wake Forest at home as opposed to a home-and-home or as opposed to only playing them on the road? I actually think the road schedule isn't that bad, honestly. Like, you're avoiding Duke and Carolina is big, I think. And yes, you get the like the scariest ones are Notre Dame and Virginia. Um, I'm not sure Virginia Tech's gonna have the same kind of year that they did. And same with my same with Miami. So, I'm, it's it's an enticing road schedule. So, I think you you're and to go back to kind of where this all started off with the there's some great home games to to pack out the dome for. Uh, so, the home and homes like Virginia will probably you'll probably get something there. Pittsburgh's up two one. Um, Duke and North Carolina. My fees definitely behind. Uh, no, um, yeah, no, they just scored on the power play. Yeah, um, hell, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but Duke and North Carolina, you'll probably obviously those are your big opportunities to pack out the dome. Um, yeah. and. And you'll, you, you'll probably get some good stuff there. I'd be curious. Or, well, I I'm pretty sure this this was definitely some some talks at HCC HQ of like, hey, we'll, we're going to do some promo, uh, you know, farewell to the Dome Tour. We're, we're getting these guys at home. Um, and apparently, judging by the look of it, we don't you know, we don't believe in traveling to the state of North Carolina until the ACC tournament. And I don't even know if it's there this year. So it is uh, there this year. Um, so this is probably Jim's. Uh, this was Jim's uh, foot in the ground. Like <laughs> you're not getting me down here more than once. 
listen, I'm leaving after this year. I, I'm just completely making this up. But, like, I'm leaving after this year. I'm only going down there once. There's no no good food. It's fine. <laughs> and this goal's getting reviewed, by the way. Yes. Um, Christian, so for those who are wondering, uh, Christian, before the show, said he really wants to get into hockey. And I told him, well, it's really hard because the refs suck. So there is a rule that they never explain until a goal happens um, that they're reviewing it, where the stick, when you score, cannot be higher than the goal bar when held parallel, which is super, super confusing because you can have the stick up higher than the goal net. But like if it's not, if it's like mostly lower, it's fine. It's a whole very confusing, very interpretive uh, rule that doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, so I'm looking at this goal and I think it's going to be a good goal, but that just means that the goal is probably not going to be a good goal because I don't know anything about hockey, uh, even though I've been following the sport for a very long time. So that is, that's what I've learned. Uh, so basketball news is not done because there was more stuff besides the scheduling, because of course there was more than just the scheduling this week with men's basketball. Um, Syracuse landed a backup center. That was this week. Oh my god, I completely yeah. forgot. Oh yeah. <laughs> and guess what? And guess what? It's a great thing we're talking about Pittsburgh because that's where he's coming from. Um, the uh, Mornir Hema. That's how I'm going to. Uh, or is it? Nope. There's no R in there, so it's Mo- Monir. Monir Hema. Until corrected otherwise, um, he visited campus back to back days and then immediately committed. He is 6'11", and he is a rising sophomore, having originally committed to Duquesne and playing for Duquesne University. If you do not know uh, Duquesne University, it is not a big school, but it is in Pittsburgh. Their program has been on the rise as of late. Um, He played 9.6 minutes per game and averaged 1.9 points and 2.8 rebounds. Uh, starting five games, tallying 18.8 minutes, 3.6 points, and 5.2 rebounds in those games. Um, There seems to be, and and this is something I want to call out to my friend Chari, um, it seems like the way that Syracuse hits the transfer portal is they only go after guys that they have connections with. They're not trying to establish a new recruiting pipeline through the transfer portal like some other schools are. And so... Um, Hema attended St. Benedict's Prep, which is the same school that Tyler Ennis and Barama Sidibe did, um, uh, as attended as well. So that's a lot of words about the kid. Steve, I think what we all saw and heard was that Jim Beheim has his toy project center. <laughs> this is, it's a recurring theme. Apparently Jim Beheim is not allowed to have a year without a project center going all the way back to, uh, was it, was it Sean Johnson? Or no, that's oh, man. the. I mean, well, even I mean, you can probably even go farther back than that, but I can remember there was a, uh, a numerous seven foot centers that uh, he just repeatedly will have on roster and then try to develop, and sometimes they work out, and sometimes they just don't, and they disappear. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, looks raw, looks long. Um, beyond that, I I don't have any real like analysis of what what he could be i mean he's just another (laughs) long lanky seven footer that maybe we can turn into something andy i have bad news what's what's the bad news here i think you know the bad news oh i do know the bad news and i just saw it happen oh that was the soft goal jari 
Uh, no, but look at look at the replay here of the crazy scramble that just happened in front of gold Sturkin on the ground. Well, that's what happens when your goalie doesn't play. If anyone who's listening to this happened. tomorrow, go back to the live feed at that timestamp and look at Andy's face. It was priceless. <laughs> but that's what happens when your goalie doesn't play in over a month. Sometimes these things happen. Oh, and it was off of our own player, too. It was off of Matheson's skate, yeah. Uh, that yeah. makes me really sad. But to redirect uh, the conversation back on Syracuse. No, um, I was going to say we're talking about we were talking about Pittsburgh things that are underwhelming. Yeah. Hi, we're back on topic. Yeah, um, just it's just it's it's tough to get a backup in the portal because everyone who goes into the portal wants a starting job unless you get someone who's like Sayer, who, uh, Samir, right. not his brother. Um, you get someone like Samir who is actually willing to like. Who's actually like doing it so he can go back home? And, yeah, and you know, and is willing to take like a backup position. So like you don't get those players. Those players are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's either going to be a so, grad transfer that like yeah. knows that their you know knows what their role is going to be, or it's going to be somebody like this who's going to be a project. Yeah, and so. Anyone who was expecting a world beater from the transfer portal when you're looking for a backup center, I think, has to have temper expectations because that's just in general what Syracuse was always going to get from the portal for a backup center. Someone who is very raw and someone who is very, very unproven. And so it's it's the realities of what's happening here. Yeah. Um, I think it's just... Some schools have found a way to use the portal to their advantage. Um, most schools haven't quite figured it out yet, and I think that that's where Syracuse is. Um, and, and Christian, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think th- I think we have to stop expecting Syracuse to go into the portal and get um, a a person who's willing to come in and sit into Jim Beheim's system. Yeah, we're either getting a starter or we're getting a, we're getting a Cole Swider, which is somebody who is going to play thirty eight minutes a night, whether you like it or not, or we're getting a project. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, um, definitely, I would not expect that this kid is going to play twenty-eight or thirty-eight minutes a night because Jesse Edwards exists and should be healthy. Yeah. So, if if he develops, he could be a very serviceable guy, kind of like Pascal Chukwu was. Kind of fits that frame. Uh, but as we saw with Chukwu, it took him three years to actually do something, and even then, it was still kind of raw. Yeah. Well, uh, for the one... record, Andy, you oh. didn't you didn't hear it on the mic uh, just because of the directionality of it. But I was knocking on wood so hard when you said he should be playing often and should stay healthy because uh, <laughs> we're going to need it. <laughs> yes, we are definitively going to need it there. Um, continuing with the transfer portal news, uh, Steve, this is all you. Stephen Bailey tweeted out on May 12th that Syracuse offered 2022 Juco O-lineman uh, Makai Lee. Um yep. It, he Makai is a allegedly has received twenty offers. However, uh, Steve, you kind of did the work. He is, Syracuse is the only P five uh, offer that he's got. And what's what's the deal with this kid? He's an offensive lineman. Yeah. Um, where where does he look? What does he look like? And what could potentially be the reasoning why Syracuse is trying to bring this kid in? So at JUCO, he's been playing tackle. Uh, I believe, if I'm remembering right, uh, Stephen Bailey had a uh, tweet out about him um, playing inside or something along those lines. Um, either way, check out Stephen's stuff because 
he he always has a scoop on whatever um but looking at him he he's raw um he he only has a p5 offer i think there were a couple other um like bigger name g5 sniffing around um i think houston was in the mix maybe some others but uh it's he's decent run block technique real rough in the pass um curious if it's something that schmidt thinks he can turn into a project or uh that that he sees something and thinks he can he can make work uh i i don't know what or where also i didn't realize that was this week too um much much like our standard wait that happened uh i could have sworn that was last week well so. we found the title of the uh podcast turn into snaps to podcast wait that happened this week yes <laughs> we, we could just title title that that every week if you guys ever heard the pre-roll it'd be yeah we're like wait what that okay <laughs> so but yeah i mean uh Lee looks like he's going to be, uh, if he does commit to the orange, he looks like he's going to be not someone stepping right into the depth chart. Um, but, you know, someone that has some ability if they're sniffing around. I, other than that, I, I don't really, I don't know. I it, Whether it's just to fill out a roster spot, I would have much preferred them to fill out the roster spot on the other side of the ball, where it seems like we're in much more need. Well, we're converting Justin Hugh to a defensive lineman now. I think that was this week as well. Well, yeah. not Josh Ho. Is that Josh? Josh Ho, yeah, Josh's brother. Yeah, yes. exactly. Or did he change? Um, he changes names when he switches sides of the ball. That's the trick. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I think I don't think that was like we knew that he had both positionality. But I forget was it this week the tweet came out with like him officially being listed as a D lineman, and he was that might have been hyping. a week ago. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But it seems like things are moving around in weird ways, which is not uncommon for a Dino Babers team this time of year. Um, they really do seem to like to mess with positional flexibility early in players' careers, which I think is better than later in, in players' careers. Um, but you definitely get some wonky uh, changes in looks just based off of where the roster's shaken out. Well, for years we've talked about Huff being Rhino, and we didn't realize that it was going to be in this sense. I, I don't think yes. this was this was how we wanted him to be, right? I think we were looking more for the the, the running back side of the ball. Um, but hey, if if it works out, I'm I'm fine with it. I don't know. It's it's one of those where they they see them much more often than us. And there's been plenty of people that you know, especially a running back switching to D line. You know, he's going to have the athleticism to do at least something. Um, so we'll we'll see how that one pans out as the actual season progresses. Well, we know that the reason that they do this is because depth has been a consistent issue for the Dino Babers teams, and that depth took a big hit this past week at the quarterback position. Um, another thing that happened this week, uh, Justin Lampson, uh, the presumed backup quarterback to Garrett Schrader this year, uh, suffered a non-contact knee injury that required surgery. Um, none of those are good. Your best case scenario is ACL, MCL kind of deal, and you're out maybe nine months if you're lucky. You're well, as as someone who has knees that aren't all intact, it's present. Uh, your best bet is an MCL or LCL recovery time, and that's probably I did a grade three MCL. I had probably about a three month till I was back up and running, and that was twenty years ago. So they're probably 
if if it was something along those lines, you're in much better situation than ACL PCL, where like you're saying, you're looking you know seven month at at, at minimum recovery time. So uh, that would put him not in the the backup role and likely move <laughs> Jacoby and Morgan or Dan Valari into said backup role. So, um, not what you want. No, not ideal. Um, so I do think that there were a lot of people um, out there who, after Schrader's performance this past year, were hoping that Lamson uh, would challenge him in a way that would live up to Lamson's Eric Dungy 2.0 billing that came with his recruitment because that was a thing for some reason. Uh, but now that Lamson is definitively going to be missing a significant portion of time, I cannot imagine that he would be in a position to challenge Schrader out of the gate unless Schrader got hurt or was remarkably terrible. So it looks like Garrett Schrader is your definitive starting quarterback for the Syracuse Orange heading into this season. Um, I know that's not going to make some people happy, but that's the reality of the situation with this injury for sure. Seems right. Yep. I mean, there's there's no other no other <laughs> way to slice it. Christian seems so happy. Oh God, just absolutely thrilled by the sequence of events that's happening right now. The best case scenario is that uh, Garrett Trader has fixed his issues, and we don't have to worry about the backup quarterback till next year. But you know, Syracuse can't have nice things. I'm still holding on hope uh, based on the limited stuff we saw in the spring practice. He threw balls well, that were not into the turf or over people's heads by 7 million yards. So even in warm-ups, I'll take that. Uh, well, I was going to say the reason that I don't have faith is less on Schrader and more on the ridiculous schedule that Syracuse has found itself in. However, it's looking like that type of scheduling, at least from an ACC perspective, could be fundamentally changing. Um, David Hale, who is just the guy to follow if you want ACC news, um, he has basically been posting a lot of interviews and a lot of different conversations with people around the ACC while they're doing their off-season meetings. And it appears as if the ACC is very much considering changing the way that they schedule in-conference football games. Now, David goes on a very long-winded, um, but still incredibly informative um, discussion about why they're looking to do this, what challenges the ACC is facing, but we want to start with this basic thing. Um, the, it is a, it's called a 3-3, it's called a 3-5-5 scheduling model. But the reality is confused with a three three five defense, like Andy yes, just said. Right. Well, in reality, <laughs> it probably should be called a three three five model because I had to I had to ask Kevin about this um, in the main in the main Slack channel because I couldn't understand why they call it a three three five schedule. But um, I'm looking for the actual message. Um, do 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 do. Um, it's three permanent rivals. And then you have five on and five off. So you get, uh, so for example, say we do 2023 and 2025. Um, you'd play the same three, three, you, you know, you'd play the same three teams in 2023 and 2024. And then the other five would uh, flip and rotate each year. So in order to get the homes and aways, there's definitely some like finagling that has to be done. You probably have to, 
Um, it's not going to be perfectly balanced year to year, but it's probably balanced in the aggregate. Um, it's an interesting way of approaching the schedule, especially for a team like Syracuse that is locked into a division where you have to play Florida State, you have to play Clemson, and there's really no historical reason for Syracuse to be locked into a series with Clemson and Florida State long term. Um, I think from that perspective, I'm very happy of it. The trickier part becomes, who are the three teams that Syracuse gets locked up with? Because I think we all would say, give us Pitt, give us BC, give us insert other Big East school that's in the Northeast. So, well, Northeast-ish. So that way we don't necessarily have to be making these trips down to Florida or South Carolina to get our asses beat consistently every year. Um, I'm, I'm down for that. That being said, Steve kind of brought, uh, not sorry, not you, Steve. Kevin brought up a really interesting point is that there are probably other teams like a Clemson, like a Miami, that would love to have Syracuse on the schedule as a permanent rival because it's a baked-in, easier game, um, and there's less volatility that way. Um, I'm intrigued by all this. Christian, I'm, I'm interested on your thoughts just because we, it seems apparent Syracuse is going to schedule non-conference games that we don't like from now until the end of time. Hockey um, update, shorthanded goal, 3-2 Pittsburgh. I'm seeing the report. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyways, um, uh, Christian, talk scheduling while I geek out. So, in a logical sense, Virginia Tech makes the most sense. From a Syracuse and logical geographical sense, Virginia Tech makes the most sense as the third rival. Now, whether money makes things different is a completely different thing as well. But... I honestly, I'm, I'm like 50-50 on this. I'm not sure because if like the three permanent rivals thing is like an okay thing. I think it is. I just don't know. It's, it's so, so tough. I mean, um, I think it's better than having the, what, it's better, six that we have it's better now? Than the division. It's better than the divisions. It's just, what's the... I, I think everyone agrees, and that's why you're seeing the, uh, and that's why you're seeing these conversations happening right now. Is that everyone agrees that the divisions is just not a great strategy right now, just in general. So people are still trying to come up with creative ways to do that, and I'm not sure what the best way is either. So while it's a good strategy, dang. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think I mean, that's how we kind of all feel. Like, yes, it's a solution, but is it the solution we want necessarily? Probably not. Um, it's just so weird. I still think pods are the way to go. The Bill C method of clumping schools together, either by regionality or by um, uh, history, and then just having a pod rotation. The three five five is very similar to that, where. Essentially, you're doing a bunch of um, circumferencing pods around each other, um, but it does make uh, the three five five gives you more flexibility, um, just because the five on and the five off uh, allow for a lot more home and away matchups that work based off of what other schools are scheduling. But I don't, 
I just want Clemson and Florida State off of the schedule consistently. Um, same with Louisville. Like, I have no affinity towards Louisville as an old Big East rival. Um, yeah. Don't care about them at all. Pitt and BC are the only two teams that I want to see every year um, that are in the ACC. Everybody else to me is meh. Give me the best opportunity for the Orange to go and get six wins. Right, and I don't think... Uh, you, you guys brought up the point earlier about all those big names want us on the schedule as a quote-unquote easy win. I, I probably shouldn't even quote-unquote that because, well, it, at this point, it is an easy win. Um, there's, I guess there's some merit into if we're going to get stuck with one of the big boys, who do you want to get stuck with? And, you know, do you do you opt for something like Miami where we have a lot of recruiting ties to? Do you opt for you know, Florida State or Clemson out of, yeah, we're going to get our butts kicked, but we at least have some name recognition there or we're guaranteed to be on a, a non-nooner slot type thing. Um, you know, current Florida State notwithstanding. Uh, there, there's there's a big asterisk there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's If you go to a true pods model, you get, uh, and Andy, you'll, you'll understand, well, yeah, you will too, Christian, the you end up in a bit of a weird unbalanced situation, kind of like MLS and how the regular season is just kind of funky and doesn't quite work. Um, whereas this at least gets you seeing most of most of the league every other year, as opposed to the current situation where it's it, it, whoever's in the coastal, you play once every four or you play an away game once every 14 years there. So it puts you in a really weird spot. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good point where outside, like the NFL has figured out divisions really well, and that's because they do really small divisions. And if you think about it, the NFL scheduling is really just pods. Um, you've got six, you've got 16 really small, hyper geographically located teams that you have a preset schedule around every year. It's a really great way of doing things. Um, Major League Baseball, you play so many games in the division format basically works because with a 162 game data set it allows you to do a lot more um balancing out of of the schedule uh especially over time but yeah in college football these whole huge conference and then uh huge conference then huge division things that popped up because of post realignment it just doesn't really make any sense and I don't love the Big 12s, like, you know, round-robin, winner-take-all marketing thing that they do around playing, like, a, a traditional college football schedule. So I, I think the recruiting thing is probably the biggest piece of this puzzle. If we're going to get stuck with somebody, I'd rather get stuck with somebody either down in Florida um, or even a Georgia Tech. Um, I think Georgia Tech's dance card would be pretty full, to be honest. But if we could get into that Atlanta area, if we can get into Florida... Um, I would love Virginia Tech, uh, but I don't think our staff has done a great job of recruiting the DMV area, and the DMV area has also fundamentally shifted in recruiting basis. Um, it's all really interesting. The other part of the scheduling conversation that I want to tag on is, did either of you read David's entire thread about the ACC meetings and about the, um, for lack of a better word, financial dick measuring contest that's happening between the Big Twelve or the Big Ten, the AC, uh, the Big Ten? the SEC, and everybody else. No, this sounds interesting. Um, TLDR, for everybody else at home and then for you two, so this is actually perfect. Um, the rise, the expanding gap between the Big Ten, SEC, and everybody else 
is fundamentally scaring college administrators because there's no realistic fix for the ACC, the Big 12, or the Pac-12 to have any sort of gains on the Big 10 or the SEC's revenues. Um, Every fix that you offer is a short-term few million dollar fix that the Big 10 and the SEC will make up in just yearly growth year to year. Um, So the questions of the scheduling changes came from a desire for the ACC to be more flexible should the Big 10 want some kind of alliance of some kind. And it sounds like the ACC is trying to angle itself to be a natural companion to the Big 10 in most competitions as a way of latching on to some of their adjacent revenue streams. Um, Naturally, as you can imagine, this brought upon the conversation of when do these schools just break away from the NCAA because the money's too good? And that question is answered based off of who you ask. But I thought it was a really interesting idea given that Penn State and Syracuse just announced a a future long-term schedule. So my brain is starting to connect things, and I wonder if we start to see the Big Ten and the ACC start to merge their schedules together, and if that's the case, I hate every single second of it. Um, You know why? Because that means we're going to see a lot of the State University of New Jersey. Oh, we are going to see so much Rutgers, so much Maryland. Like, oh. I love New Jersey, but like I said in a previous podcast quite a while ago, no one in New Jersey likes to acknowledge the existence of the State University of New Jersey unless you're an alum of the State University of New Jersey. And even then, most of them do not acknowledge the athletics of the State University of New Jersey. Steve, you just seem so unhappy when I started laying all of that out, and I mentioned a Syracuse Big Ten alliance. You you looked more visibly upset than I did when I read read the thread. Yeah, it's it's just the whole concept of, like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing with this whole scheduling thing? What are we doing with all these alliances? Like, I, I don't know. Blow it all up. Start over. I don't know. I'm kind of in that boat as well. I feel like we've gotten to the point of no return where the SEC kind of just rules the world and everybody's just trying to get their one team to take on whoever the SEC puts forward. Um, Not that I dislike it. Uh, I think that, again, if you're listening to this podcast this deep in about college football, you understand that college football is not necessarily about following a team that's going to win the national title every year. Um, So that is something that, I think is a framework that works and the one that I choose to enjoy with college football. But that being said, the inequality is getting remarkably uh, uh, to a point where I don't think it can be managed um, in any sort of way. If they turned on this podcast at the beginning, they follow a team that they know is not going to make the college football playoff every year. (laughs) That is also true. Unless they only Um, like Syracuse lacrosse in that case, you know, they probably could have turned off after a while. Mazel tov to you. Um, I wish I could live that life, but I do not. Um, but speaking of which, we are now in the second intermission between the Penguins and Rangers game. I'm going to call this podcast early so I can go scream at my TV. Uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened to this week's edition of Troy Newton's Absolute Podcast. 
Um, thank you for downloading and uh, downloading this episode from whatever podcast application you use. Um, please make sure to rate us, review us, and subscribe us so that way we can trick the algorithm into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Thank you again to everybody who watched on our Twitch live stream. Remember, we do this pretty much every Sunday at 8 p.m. So if you want to catch the podcast earlier before everybody else, watch my insane reactions to whatever sporting event is going on live at the time. You get to watch those. Um, and for everybody who's watching or reading this on NudesMagician.com, thank you again. We really do appreciate you coming back to the site and supporting all of our uh, wonderful writing staff. Thank you to our home field apparel sponsors. Again, promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order. I think that's all the spiel. I think that's all the spiel. Seems right. Cool. Uh, thank you again, Christian. Thank you again, Steve, uh, and Steve, for producing this wonderful show. Thank you for all those who listen in. Go Orange. Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>